Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining me today, he's a professional athlete, swimmer, and world champion medalist. It's Matthew Josa. How are you doing today, Matthew? Hey, hey, what's going on? I'm so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Yeah, so uh, from Fort Mill, South Carolina. I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, so they're, they're pretty close. It's about lived about three minutes from the border, so it can kind of save from either or. But um, I, uh, I grew up in the area. I was born in Texas, but moved to uh, the Carolinas since about three. And um, uh, honestly, I, I took to swimming pretty quickly. Um, I'd say by the time I was about five or six, I, I knew I was going to be a swimmer. Like <laughs> I just already knew um, I wasn't even swimming yet, but um uh, my sisters were doing it. So, um, I looked up to them, got one who's eight years older than me. Her name is Brittany. And, um, I just remember, you know, watching her and being at one of her swim meets and just deciding right there. And then I'm going to be a swimmer. So, yeah. At a young age, when you said you just wanted to be a swimmer, what was the main thing that caught your attention about the sport of swimming? You know, I, it's, that's a good question. I think that I've just had a love for the sport. Um, maybe it's the competition, maybe it's the racing. Um, you know, sometimes we pick the things that like we inherently know we're good at maybe at a young age. Um, I think for me, it's just, I don't think it was necessarily that I was good at it. I think it's just that there's just this drive in me that loves pushing my body to the fullest extent that I can do. And I think that I'm constantly looking to push the boundaries as far as what my body can do, um, and what my mind can do. And, um, and also in other areas of my life too, like emotionally, spiritually. Right. And so, um, when it came to swimming, you know, obviously I didn't know all that and have the tools to express what I'm saying now, but, um, I think I just, I think I just knew <laughs> I can't, I can't describe it. I just knew that, uh, I had an enemy to push myself. It almost sounds like it, it was that feeling that you had, like everyone has that like laser focus, like I'm going to do this because that's what they thought about when they were growing up. And it sounds like that's kind of similar in that way. Did your family get you involved in anything right away with swimming? That's funny. Um, my mom was actually trying to keep me from swimming. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what maybe wanted more. I have no idea. Um, oftentimes things we're not allowed to have or what we want, right? Um, but, uh, I don't know. I think that, um, you know, my sister doing this sport definitely helps. Um, but you know, I, I was begging my mom, I think for two, two to three years there from the time I was like four or five to when she finally let me swim when I was six. Um, and, uh, she just finally gave in. I think she gave in the funny story is, she gave in after um, I was at one of my sister's swim meets. I think it was maybe her championship meet. Um, I'm five-year-old me. So imagine five-year-old me, way shorter, still very hard-headed um, <laughs> and <laughs> very energetic and um, uh, uh, cheering for my sister. And they start the race. She's doing like, a, I think a 50 butterfly, right? So like a normal summer league or winter league meet, right? And um I'm on the sides and I'm apparently this is the way my mom tells it, but I was cheering so hard that I actually fell into the pool <laughs> during the middle of the race. <laughs> they had to stop the race. They had to start it over. Um, and uh, the coach of my sister's team came over and 
Uh, his name is Harry Truesdale. I've, I've talked to him um, today once in a while, you know, but he's told my mom, he's like, you need to get that boy in the pool because he's going to keep ruining my swim meets if you don't. <laughs> so <laughs> he's either in the pool or he's out of the facility. <laughs> and my mom's like, okay, all right. Do something. <laughs> so, yep. What was the main reason why your mom was keeping you away from it and then finally giving in? I think that, you know, she just wanted to avoid burnout and um, make sure that I really wanted to do it. She's a really great mom. Um, and I, I speak, you know, volumes about that woman. She's in most reasons, I think that I'm the way I am today because of her. Um, and so, you know, I just say that she's probably protective motherly instinct there likely, but um I think it actually helped me form a very strong opinion about what I wanted. So it actually turned out to be for the better. When you say burnout, is it when you see nowadays with kids where they start sports at a young age, is it the burnout because they're starting so young and then they may not like it over time. And in your situation, that was kind of the same mindset is if you started early, who knows in a couple of years, you might find a different sport or something else that you are passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, burnout is definitely a, a legitimate thing. Um, you know, especially something in high school you'd see, uh, I still remember when I was 15 and, um, joining a new team that I was, this is around the time when I started getting serious about pursuing swimming, um, to a more, you know, um, accomplishment, uh, like, and uh, I don't know, I'm more just really pursuing it on a, um, a higher level. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, being around seniors when I was 15, so I was freshman, right. Being around seniors on that new club team, which was called swim Mac. And you see, um, a lot of people who are just not in it anymore. And, you know, a few of them were going off as scholarship swimmers and D one schools. I remember one of them was a, a Navy swimmer and another was a Tennessee swimmer. And, um, these are pretty notable programs, but you could tell that the burnout was real. Um, the passion was no longer there and they were really just riding that ticket to get that free degree versus going to college to pursue NCAA accomplishments and really at the end of the day, looking to um, embedder themselves through the sport of swimming. And um, so I think that kind of the, the approach that we took as a family towards swimming um, saved me. Um, but the other side of that is no matter what sport you do, um, you can always apply it to another sport. I think that's the fun part is I even played football when I was younger and, um, you know, I loved it to death, but, uh, it's, I chose swimming at the end of the day. And the, the great thing is, is the team aspect of football can be applied to the team aspect in swimming too. So. That's so true. A lot of times, my guess, we talk about those different skill sets that can be taken over from a business to a sport, to sports, to business, to sport, to sport. And it just shows that you can find something that works and connects with each other. And like you said, at least in a pool, you're not getting tackled by a bunch of people. I mean, unless you're getting tackled by <laughs> the next person swimming next to you in the next lane, but I haven't seen that happen yet. So maybe that needs to be a first. <laughs> water polo oh that is true <laughs> that's what that is that, yeah. that, i forgot never mind 
maybe someday <laughs> <laughs> hey a new sport coming out coming soon you never know Heck yeah Heck yeah you heard was it here first <laughs> was there any some or someone that you looked up to in your sporting career at a young age or someone in general even outside of sports yeah um they tend to be athletes for me growing up um so I, I lo- looked up to Michael Phelps very much growing up. I had a poster of him on my wall, but there's another swimmer. His name is Aaron Pearsall. Um, and uh, he, was a, he was a world – actually, I think he still owns the world record in the 200-meter backstroke, um, but multiple-time Olympic gold medalist for the U.S. in backstroke. And uh, just a really cool outlook on life and approach to the sport um, that I think anybody can learn from. He's just got a very kind nature about him, and he's humble. Um, and uh, I think humility breeds success, especially when you're looking at swimming, because swimming is a flow sport. And um, if you try and approach swimming with any sort of pride, um, oftentimes you're going to learn humility very quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so swimming is a very humbling sport. And so um, I think Aaron has a really great way of approaching it. And um, seeing him approach swimming really taught me some things at a young age. Um, my last and other role model would be Louis Zamperini. He's got a movie called Unbroken um, and a book called Unbroken. And um, I, it's just such an inspirational movie. So, yeah. When you're swimming or looking at those, like Michael Phelps, Aaron Pearsall, are you always taking the skill set when you're training and incorporating into your training sessions? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the difference between a professional and uh, amateur athlete. Um, or really just anybody who's growing up in a sport, um, if you want to become a professional, and I guess I could be talking to a younger version of myself or anybody who watches, right? Um, If you want to become a professional, all you have to do is pursue the skills and really pursue them to a T. So just fine tuning things and becoming a little bit A-type about that stuff and um, being okay with being that way. I think that oftentimes people who are, hyper-focused on details or um, almost criticized for it because they're like, oh, why don't you chill out, right? Like you're, you're doing this too much or whatever. You just have to have a mindset of, you know what? No, I'm, I'm doing this because there's a strong purpose and reason behind it. And um, it's okay to be successful. So the way to get there is uh, really focusing on the skills. Um, even when you're doing practices that seem mundane, uh, you can always make them more entertaining by focus. Do you feel swimming took over your life or were you able to have the kind of the fun atmosphere, but also the social life of being a ch- kid? You know, I think that swimming actually became a, um, you know, I'm in a, a group called Pure Desire, but we, we often talk about, you know, the desires of our heart, right? And um, a little bit of my background is I'm a pretty strong Christian believer in Christ, right? But um outside of that, I think that oftentimes we have desires, right? And those desires can often propel us inward towards ourselves and almost cause an implosion. You kind of think of a, a rocket, right? And if that, that engine is, if um, uh, really like the rocket fuel is pointed inward, right? And um, what's going to happen to the engine when you turn on the ignition? It's probably going to explode, right? And so Um, for me, swimming was one of those, um, desires and passions that really propelled me uh, outward and towards better advantages in my life. And so think of a rocket working well, 
and everything's fine-tuned what happens it gets lift, lifted off the ground and hopefully goes to wherever its destination is right and swimming has been one of those things for me that um, has kind of just allowed me to pursue wholeness in other areas of my life and um, while that's not always the case it's definitely given me a lot of opportunities uh, in which I can so yeah were you ever worried as you're getting older, getting to the high school level, that what happens if I wasn't doing swimming? What would be that back route or backup route in a way? Because a lot of people with athletes that I've talked to, sometimes they're so focused that they don't know what would happen if they get injured, stuff or things change. But did you ever have something planned or an idea of what direction you would have gone in if swimming did not work out the way it did for you? You know, it's funny. I actually, I didn't in high school. And um, I think that that has been really the past few years for me. I'm 26 now. And um, that's been the direction that I've been able to understand um, or really like a mindset that I've been able to uh, more understand over the past three to five years. And um, I don't think there's anything wrong with having uh, only a plan A and no plan B, because if you want to get to your goals, you're going to make plan A happen. Yep. And, um, you know, if, if you get injured, right, there's still ways to work through that. And I think that if you have a dream that is worth pursuing and is worth the pursuit, then you are going to make it happen. You're going to move heaven and earth to do it. Um, and so for me, that was just the case when I was young and it's still very much the case today. I think that um, we just had our Olympic trials and this past week and um, this time around, I, I missed the team, but you know, it's funny because in 2016, I missed the team by a very marginal amount. I think it was two, two to two to four tenths of a second. And um, that being said, it's, I, I was devastated. Um, but fast forward five years um, add a lot of emotional, spiritual and physical growth. Right what's changed perspective and that perspective has changed a ton because I know that one, my identity is not in the sport. Um, what you do is not who you are most importantly. And, um, two is I think that it's allowed me to have a perspective of, okay, this sport has actually allowed me to really embrace and pursue wholeness in other areas of my life. And so, I'm just, I feel like I'm igniting a new passion for it. Um, and I feel almost more invigorated than I ever have. So, yeah. That's awesome to hear that. It's given you m more opportunities in other areas. And it's all about the growth that you didn't let 2016 devastate you. You got back out there and you continued to work hard and you're able to make it to the trials, but you're still growing and you're still being becoming a better version of yourself like I like to use. So we'll see you probably in the next four years. We'll see you at the next trials. I'll <laughs> see you on TV and be like, um, I remember our conversation. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we'll have more. Yes. So what was your specialty event? 100 Butterfly is uh, and has been my main event. Um, 100 Freestyle as well. And um, I'll throw in some 50 Freestyles in there sometimes too. So yeah. 
So did you prefer the shorter ones than like, say the 400 or I know they do like the 15. Oh yeah. Like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah, swim yeah. 30 laps. I'd be tired after like <laughs> 10 laps. Yeah. Don't count I'm me on 10. A, I'm not a distance swimmer. <laughs> it's not that I, I don't enjoy it. I think I, I've actually learned to enjoy distance swimming the older I've gotten, but um, I definitely enjoy speed. There's just speed is where it's at, you know? just gotta go for that so what do they say in the olympics it's like the fastest most exciting like what 10 seconds in the yep. like 50 meter 100 meter race yeah, yeah. it's running. just yeah. you watch it in a blink of an eye it's over and you're like uh who won oh god like, what yeah. happened <laughs> yeah unless it's usain bolt then he's you know just oh i mean like you a blink. car length ahead of people <laughs> yeah. i was about to say you blink you definitely don't see him fast in that finish line <laughs> yeah Oh, dang, man. Yeah. Were you looking at any scholarships in a certain college during this time when you were swimming at, at the club level or at the high school level? Yeah, you know, there's always the schools that you, you've got, um, you, you know, your dream school, right? So when I was 12, my dream school was, um, I had two, I had an Auburn and Texas, and they were both national champions at the time. So I think that's pretty normal. Um, fast forward six years from then, um, I ended up, going to a small D2 school called Queens University of Charlotte. And um, from my freshman year, we moved from, I think, 15th in the nation to fourth. And then from freshman to sophomore year, we moved from fourth in the nation to first. And so we won our first national championship when I was there. And um, they've continued to win since, uh, which is great. But after my sophomore year, I took a gap year for 2016. Um, and during that gap year, my coach who is, um, not the Queens coach, but a coach of a professional program called team elite. Um, and on that program, a few names like Ryan Lochte, Colin Jones, Tyler Clary, a few other Olympic gold medalists, uh, we were trained together. And, uh, that was a time where David Marsh, who's the coach came up to me and we started discussing other options outside of Queens and division two. And um, we came up with a few schools and uh, university of California was on that, Ber or, sorry, university of California Berkeley was on that list. And um, after a visit to that school um, that became my number one and uh, decided to commit and just didn't look back. So, yeah. Making that transition from Queens to University of California, Berkeley, was it all about the opportunity you were going to be given to going to that new school? Yeah, you know, I think that the the latter part of my college degree was really about um, the education. And Queens was is a great school. Um, I knew that uh, Berkeley, you know, being the prestigious school that it is would really provide opportunities outside of swimming and also outside of my education. Um, so that was probably the main reason for transferring. And then the swim program at Berkeley isn't half bad either. So <laughs> <laughs> they just have to be a national champion. So that that's always good. Um, and uh, I figured I'd find a home there for the next four year quad for the 2020 Olympics. Um, I was right, uh, but I did end up leaving uh, right before um, the turn of the year of 2019 to 2020, and uh, that was for personal reasons. But um, yeah, I mean, just a great home I found in Berkeley, and um, go Bears, right? So <laughs> yeah, just uh, 
really cool on that program there as well. What were you pursuing or was the main goal is being a professional athlete during this time and you're just getting the degree to say that I have the degree? Get that piece of paper, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I always say, you get, I listen, a degree at the end of the day, it's, it is validation. I think that validation is extremely important. Um, it is hard work, but it is also a piece of paper. Um, there <laughs> yeah. Been, yeah, yeah, it's a piece of paper that you frame and you hang on your wall. And, um, well, I can't say I framed it. It's probably in some box upstairs <laughs> in my house somewhere right now. Mine is too. <laughs> uh, mine is specifically sitting on a library bookshelf right now, um, in the box still. So yeah, yeah. uh, can relate Alex. And, um, I just say that it's, it's a piece of paper. Um, and there've been so many people who've done significant and phenomenal things without it. Um, but that doesn't discredit the value of a degree and um berkeley is one that you don't just get a degree from there you actually learn a new way of thinking and applying that thinking to the world around you and so um yeah i mean my to answer the original question i'd say that yeah um the goal was to swim become a professional swimmer um and use berkeley as a launching pad but also have the um the option and um, really just the option for future endeavors after swimming, right? So I think you brought up a great point because I always look at my college days and I went as a sports management major. All I wanted to do was work for a sports team in the business world. But after I graduated, I'm like, did this school actually really help me get to that that next step? Because the career that I'm in right now has nothing to do with sports. But I look at the opportunities where I got to be a part of a group, a fraternity, and learn that kind of area, do charity projects, do events, work and network with people. I think I learned more about myself and the things that I could, I didn't do at the time, but could do now. And I think it actually did work. That $40,000 piece of paper upstairs, can't say I'm going to use it, but I, I think the opportunity that I went and I got the chance to do, try new things in a way. Um, this show was definitely not one of those things that I was going to do, but it came at the right time. And I think it, and I think it gave me the stepping stone to go out there and try new things. And I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed my experience. I mean, it, it felt, it feels like it's been forever ago, but yep. I enjoy it. Well, I'd love to add to that. Cause I think that, uh, there's so much value in relationships and college is really, yeah, it's a $40,000 piece of paper. Right. Um, <laughs> but that, that piece of paper, now that you brought it up, right. It's, it just, it's really about the relationships that you form and, um, sometimes they're lifelong bonds and sometimes they're not, but also, I mean, there are opportunities and, um, that reminds me of uh, um, Admiral uh, William McRaven, and uh, he's a Navy Admiral, and um, he's got a book called How to Make Your Bed. You may have seen it. It's the commencement speech uh, for Texas, I think 2013 or something like that. And um, he talks about, okay, at this graduation ceremony, there's uh, 10,000 people. And he says, well, the average person in their life will meet about 10,000 people in their lifetime. And there happened to be 10,000 people at that graduation commencement, right? He goes, if each one of you changes the lives of 10 people around you, 
then that can change the world. He's like, here's how change the lives of 10 people around you. And those 10 people change the lives of 10 people around them. So on, so forth, right? Eventually you get to a point where you've changed the population of the entire United States. And then you do another exponential and then you've um, covered the entire population of the world. And um, it doesn't take a large act. Sometimes it's small acts, but um, what you do with the relationships is just as important as having them too. So, yeah. Yep. I, I totally agree with that. You mentioned earlier that you were, when you were at Queens, that the coach was with other Olympic athletes future, I guess at the time, is it crazy to think that you guys trained with each other and, but looking at the progress and the accomplishments you guys all have had? Yeah. You know, I think that you can oftentimes look at the people around you and say, okay, that's, where I'm headed, you know, and you look at the ones who are closest to you, to your right, right to your left and uh, where they're headed um, doesn't have to be the same direction, but as long as there's growth, oftentimes that's going to be um, a good prediction of how much you're growing as well. And so I think I was just extremely blessed and privileged to be around such high achieving athletes, um, whether or not that was my own doing or just Providence putting me there. Right. Um, I just, I'm grateful. I think it was an awesome experience. And um, while I may not have Olympic gold medals yet, and if that's in the plans for me, then great. Um, if not, then God willing, you know, it's up to him. Right. But um, I can definitely say that because of my exposure to um, such elite athletes and Olympic medalists and gold medalists, right. Um, it's really helped refine um who i am and what i do and basically how i do what i do what's your favorite accomplishment in your collegiate career as a swimmer oh um you know i uh i think just um one i really enjoyed my senior year and, you know, having younger guys to um, be around, but also mentor at the same time. And the funny thing is, is that when you're mentoring, you oftentimes are actually being mentored yourself. Mm-hmm. I've learned that. Um, I'd say still the favorite experience I've had is um, my second year and uh, winning the national championship with that team. We, we fought tooth and nail for that and um, went through a lot of adversity. And that was just awesome. Um, icing on the cake, though, has been coming back to Queens for this past year and uh, being able to be a role model for some of the younger guys and freshmen. And I'm 26 now, and it's it's amazing to see, like, wow, I was also 18 once. And um, seeing some of these some of these guys um, and girls and where they're at like with their growth in comparison to where I was at when I was 18, they're, they're light years ahead. And so it's just really cool to even still be used as a mentor in that way. You talked about 2016 was your first experience with the Olympic trials. Talk about that experience. What was going through your mind being in that setting with all the other athletes and having that opportunity to win a spot on team USA for that Olympics? Yeah. Um, so 16 was my first trials was in 12. I made it when I was, um, 17 and then 
16 was when I was 21. So that was second, second time around. Um, this time I had been training with team elite, um, and a few Olympic gold medals. And I think that that really helped boost my confidence. So going into that, um, I just won a national championship and, um, you know, achieving the things I had at Queens, I was coming in with some pretty good confidence. Um, and so getting to trials and moving through prelims, semis into finals, right. Um, it was happenstance. I, I just, I'd already envisioned that it was going to happen. Um, and had seen it all taking place, um, beforehand. And so I think that the pressure of trials is, is unlike any other meet and you'll hear any, uh, Olympic athletes say like the trials is more pressure than the games themselves, especially for the United States, because swimming in the United States, um, oftentimes if you're in the top six in the United States, you're actually top six in the world. And so, um, competing for spots on team USA is really competing for medals. So, um, that being said, in my experience at 2016 trials, um, it's kind of profound. I mean, I, I remember most of it, but there are definitely moments where I was just so in the moment that it's just, um, it almost like, it's almost like it didn't happen at times, if that makes sense. Yeah. When you didn't make the team, are you someone that kind of looks down on yourself or do you always talk to yourself and say, what can I approve better for next time? Yeah, you know, 2016 approach um, after not making the team versus this past week in 2021 at uh, the Olympic trials, um, not making the team different, very different. Um, 16, I um, didn't have an initial reaction. I think I was kind of shocked and in shock for a while um, and really never addressed the grieving process of missing out on a team. And there is definitely a grieving process. But um, I think that that led me to make some poor choices um, through the next couple years after um, because I never addressed what I was, the emotional turmoil that was going on. And um, I think as an athlete, oftentimes you're pursuing greatness in your goals, right? Um, and so you don't necessarily have time to address other emotional issues going on in your life. And so 2016 came to a point where um, we got the water boiling and um, basically things started coming out um, and I was not expecting that. So um, a little background and I'm happy to be extremely open, right? Um, uh, I really had never addressed family issues going on. Um, and the year after 2016, summer of 2017, my parents, um, uh, got separated, then divorced and kind of came out of nowhere. But, um, after some soul searching and looking back, it's like, it brought me to a period of extreme emotional growth. Um, and that's just one area. Um, there's a lot of other aspects to that year, but, um, 2016, long story short, I think I buried a lot of my emotions and they came to a head and a boiling point later on in which, in ways that, um, were very hard to wrestle. 
over the past five years have done a lot of self-work. And um, I believe that that self-work has really led me to where I am today. And so after 2021 trials a week ago and missing the team, um, actually last Friday um, in the 100 meter butterfly, it was interesting because it was almost, it's going to sound weird, but it was almost a relief um, because I had been fighting so many battles in my personal life, um, uh, health issues, financial issues, family issues. Um, and it felt like all those battles chose me versus me choosing those battles. Um, and you add coronavirus onto that in the extra year, right? <laughs> Things get yeah. a little, a little more fun. And so, um, really I think that anybody can relate to this because, um, especially me being the least of all, right. It's like, we all have battles that we're fighting and sometimes those battles choose us and we've got to be kind of a quote unquote good soldier and fight the good fight. Um, but 2021 was more of a relief because I had already addressed all the emotional issues of not making the team and where my identity was and my identity, not being in, in sport, but being in Christ and also being centered on, um, you know, not what I do, but who I am. And so it was a relief because I had almost finished fighting the battles that chose me. Now moving forward, I get to choose the fights that I want to fight. And um, that just brings immense clarity, freedom, liberation, um, and uh, excitement. <laughs> so yeah, just excited. Well, I'll say last week when the trials were on, I saw you up there. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm literally going to be talking to him in, a, in a, like a week now. So I was, I was cheering from here in Missouri. Let's go, yeah. man. Yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh, if he made the, if it was going, it'd be like, okay, it's something to talk about. Cause I mean, but just hearing your story and about the whole, you talked about 2016 was, were you always looking for someone that you could reach out to and talk about these things? Cause you mentioned that you kind of buried your emotions, but was it hard to speak to someone about it because you were worried about the reaction that maybe someone would have what you were going through because you talked about the separation with your parents and I've gone through the same thing, but I, I was at a different age at that point. And I was, I think three, but I've been living that life, but I knew that, it's part of me and there's other people out there that we're all going through that same thing, but it may be hard to talk about. So was that something for you? Was it hard to speak to someone about these issues? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, it was just the family dynamic, I think was just to backtrack. I think that oftentimes our childhoods, no matter you know, what sort of environment, no matter how abusive, um, whatever, right. We often see that as normality. And when somebody presents us a different picture of what real normality is, and to be honest, no family is normal. <laughs> so, right. That's so yeah, Everybody's weird. No family's normal. And, um, uh, embracing that is honestly the first step towards any sort of, um, sanity. So yeah. <laughs> that's good. Um, but, uh, you know, I just think that really kind of just like realizing, um, that the flags, the red flags were all always in my face 
and just finally acknowledging them versus ignoring them because I was so focused on swimming that I pretty much just put off every other area of growth pertaining to um, uh, not emotional maturity, but really um, acknowledging the pain that I had held in for so long. And it just started finally coming out. Um, But it came to a point and I'll, to get pretty real with you in 2016 um had a lot of a lot of accidents um the year came out straight out of he double hockey six i don't know how to describe it right um i had three life-altering accidents um in which i came pretty close to possibly losing my life and so um two weeks after trials i i fell off a cliff and um uh, fractured my vertebrae and, um, when I came to, after falling off that cliff, I woke up and there was a really jagged rock about two inches away from my head. Wow. And I came to, and my sister was screaming my name. And I remember like the first thing I saw is corner of my eye. I'm like, <laughs> it's like jagged rock. So I just missed it by two inches. And, um, literally the next week, uh, I got to Berkeley and that was during my transfer. And, um, I um, bought a bike, uh, a used bike, and I was going down a famous hill or famous street called Channing, uh, Channing Way. And um, there's a circle called Channing Circle, and it's a traffic circle. And I was going through that traffic circle, and I actually got hit by a car um, oh. and wasn't wearing a helmet at the time. And I flew over the top of the car um, going about 20 miles per hour. And um, I just remember, you know, having this voice in my head saying to just relax, ragdoll. And I did that. And thankfully, I just landed on my wrist and broke my wrist uh, when easily I could have landed on my head. And um, so first week transfer, I've got a broken vertebrae that I knew nothing about um, until January and a broken wrist that I had gotten a cast for. And uh, the next three months passed by. I decide I want to buy a motorcycle. And within that month, I got in another accident. And so things just like were were crazy. Things just kept getting piled on. And um, so we came to a point of just kind of burying all this stuff, not acknowledging it, just pushing through, you know, being a good soldier, right? Just doing the job and, you know, okay, one more thing I can handle that. One more thing I can handle that. And I, I don't think I, I never asked for help because, I always felt the responsibility to carry the needs of others around me, never to put anything on them. And um, so in 2017, around April, I got to a point of pretty severe depression. And I remember um, late in April, I, I um, basically made a decision that I was going to um, commit suicide within 24 hours. And um, this is where my story gets pretty interesting. I, um, quite literally just, uh, pray to prayer and, um, basically just ask the Lord and ask God if he was real. And, um, at this point I had, uh, hadn't heard from anybody, uh, in my contacts for probably about a month. I'd really spiraled out and really just detached myself from people. And, um, just remember like being very alone at that point. Um, and, 
within the next 24 hours, I had people reaching out to me from nowhere. Um, and literally I, I remember probably eight to 10 different text messages, um, multiple calls, multiple voicemails, all literally saying the one word or one phrase, I'm praying for you. And um, that's the point where I was just like, okay, like, God, you're real. And I guess my life matters enough that you would um, do this. And so I just remember like being extremely moved, um, still am. And uh, I think that's kind of where I, I started a new journey of really just acknowledging like, okay, oh, really the, the turmoil that I had built up for so long inside. And it took time. It wasn't an all at once thing. I'd love to say that it was. It's like, boom, I'm done, right? Uh, I think that we always look for that. But um, that moment really it was the um, uh, the starting point of what led me to today and as kind of a launch pad for the rest of my growth. So, yeah. Do you feel that it was your Phoenix moment, kind of like a rebirth, a new chance, a new look on your future, giving those people sending you those messages, knowing that you're now going to be heading on like a right, the right way to a more positive way and not think about and being able to now express those emotions and those things that are happening. I, yeah, I definitely think it was one of them. And, um, I like that Phoenix, Phoenix moment. That's great. I think that where there's one, there's oftentimes many more to follow. And um, in that case, uh, things were definitely not perfect afterwards. And um, after that moment was when I found out my parents were getting divorced, right? And so that led to a lot more self-growth. And um, really, it's just... Uh, it's kind of amazing because yeah, one rebirth leads to multiple rebirths and it's just a continuation of growth. And I guess my, my thinking was why not just press in because it already hurts a lot. There's a lot of pain and it was pain, not physical pain because athletes deal with that stuff all the time, right? It's normal, but emotional pain is another type of monster. And so pushing into that, um, was really where I had to lean on my athletic experience because pain always leads to results. And so I was just like, well, if I'm already experiencing it, I'm going to push into it more and I'm going to do kind of went on a journey of self-discovery and um, figuring out who I am and um, what I can offer to the world. So, yeah. Do you feel that now you have an identity more than what people think that you are just this athlete, but there's more to Matthew that we all know now today? Yes. Yeah, very much. And, um, I, I know that for certain. Um, and that's the thing is everybody has an extremely unique identity. And I think to say anything different than that is a lie because, I'm very much the type of person who believes in the snowflake principle of everybody is very unique. Everybody has something different to offer. And I think that 
in God's wisdom, right? If every snowflake is made unique and different, then how much more so would we be made unique and different? And how much more so would we be able to offer something different uh, in a different way? And um, it's, that's the beauty of life. Like that's what makes life so awesome because um, it's, it's nothing, it's obviously the gifts that we pursue, but the people, the people make it great because everybody is so different. And um, the great thing is once you start pursuing that, that personal growth and pressing into it, um, the people you meet along the journey, it's just, it's so cool. Um, it's almost a reflection of where you're at in your journey of growth. During these times, were you itching to get back into the pool at all or waiting to heal and be able to swim again and compete at a high level? So that's the funny thing is I was swimming and competing at a high level the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and so I never stopped. Um, in fact, I think that swimming was kind of my medication. Um, it was the place I could go that stopped me from thinking about things. Um, however, we ju- just got to a point where there was so much stuff going on that I, I swimming was no longer my escape. And so I had to deal with it. Um, and so Berkeley was very much a sink or swim moment, you know, being there and being in a new environment, a new state, uh, a very challenging, difficult school, a, a D one level championship program and all the other stuff that was going on. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of battles, um, but, uh, sink or swim. And, you know, I think that, um, we all have the ability to swim no matter what. What kind of a competitions or what kind of events were you going for with swimming besides the Olympics? Were you trying to find how to improve yourself, how you can get better each and every day? Oh, yeah. All day, every day. And uh, college is a great place to do that because you've got NCAAs and, um, you know, you've got your college dual meets and then you've got your championship meets um, with conference and the NCAA national championships. So um, that's like great it's just a great place to be in. I think that it's the biggest aspect of that is the team aspect and having your college teammates to drive and push every single day and pushing them and um, really just having a, a brotherhood slash family to lean on. So that's the, that was the best part. So what was next for you? What were you hoping to do next? Did you kind of have to figure out how am I going to be able to afford to continue swimming? Or did you kind of have to go in a different direction and make yourself financially stable? Um, And you're talking about in the past year or going forward? I guess, when did you end at Berkeley? I stopped in summer of 2019. So I, I moved around um, December to back to North Carolina. Yep. Okay. So yeah, I guess during that time, because you talked before we went on air, you talked about the different medals you won and the different um, championships and stuff. Did you kind of have to say, it's going to get me to that next step that I want to go, or am I going to have to go in a different direction because I can't swim forever? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, summer 2019 was a pretty pivotal moment for me. I think that um, I realized that I had one year until 2020 and um, just coming off of Pan American games and a gold medal there 
I was very motivated because like, well, I have some changes that I can make. They're right in front of me. And if I can do these and press in, then getting to the Olympics is going to be no problem. And so within that time period, I made the decision to move back to Charlotte. Things just lined up in a way that I, I couldn't resist it. Right. And so did that and uh, financially staying in California was no longer feasible. So that was another reason. So at that point, I had been running off my savings for about a year and realized that I had just enough to get through 2020 into the Olympics. When COVID hit, things drastically changed. Um, and at that point, uh, I had to start pursuing other um, financial roles. And so swimming was no longer um, providing at that point. So I, I took up random you know, jobs. I took up bartending. I took up cleaning pools. I took up yard work, like um, anything to just get by and uh, did that up until the end of 2020 in November, December, and just realized, okay, this is taking away a lot of my focus from the pool because if I'm working late night shifts and having to wake up early in the morning and then do it all over again, um, I, I can't put my best foot forward. I can't pursue this with everything I've got. And so I had to stop and got to a really hard point in February of this year where I remember approaching my coach and just saying, Hey, listen, um, I still love swimming, but I cannot afford to do this anymore. I physically do not have the financial means to do this. And, um, at that point, you know, it was kind of a, it was a, a teary conversation. And, um, that's when started looking around at my options. Um, I got in touch with a, a guy's name is Craig Harriman and that's uh, with athletes in action, great organization. And we started talking and, um, within a month, um, uh, my sister Brooke mentioned to me that I should start a GoFundMe for the rest of 2021 to get to the trials. Um, because getting to meets is very expensive travel hotel, everything. And at this point I was barely scraping by living, <laughs> like going to grocery stores was a, a struggle. Cause it's like, well, I can afford this. I cannot afford that. So yeah. we're just going to buy the bare minimum. Um, and so starting that GoFundMe, I remember thinking it was a joke, like, well, if I get 10 bucks, that'll be, that'll be awesome. Like who the heck is going to donate to this? And, um, Within 24 hours, we, uh, there was almost a thousand dollars in that account, and I, <laughs> I opened that and started crying. Um, and I was just, I was absolutely blown away, and just like so grateful. Um, and so from that point on, and until trials of last week, we raised about fifty three hundred dollars, and that was enough to get me there. Um, and get everything I needed to be there and be present. Um, and so I can't, I can't just, I'm just still blown away at this point, but yeah. It kind of goes back to when you said about the text messages and those people reaching out to you that maybe you didn't know at the time or reaching back out. And it kind of is that same message where you maybe didn't know any of these people that donated, but they all were supporting you and being there for you. I think I read an article that I think when you were training for the trials, you went back to Queens University. I think it was uh, Charlotte, um, 
net news sites. And it talked about the GoFundMe and how that you had the support of these people and you wanted to make them proud of them donating and getting you to that trials. You talked about it when you're swimming at that trials. Do you have those people in your mind and you're like, I'm doing this for those people also? Yes, very much so. And um, I just, in fact, one of the, one of my supporters, um, I, his name is Joel Thomas and uh, he made a quite sizable donation, but um, this was actually after meeting him and uh, Joel is an Olympic gold medalist from the 92 Olympic games. And we met probably about a month and a half ago. And um, he also swam at Berkeley. So it was kind of crazy to meet somebody who's done a lot of the things um, I've done just years before. And um, he also went to Pan American Games uh, right before his Olympic year. So it was like really cool. Um, And so we talked and it's like, hey, listen, you know, gave me a pretty cool like perspective on um really like making the team and so i just remember the the night of my 100 fly semifinal, um which was last friday i actually called him like hey listen got a little bit of nerves um mostly excited but there's still a little bit of nerves and um i just love to you know hear your perspective and just you know he just just came back with this this barrage of like positive energy and like filling me up and um not filling me up but just like you know just encouraging words and um I was to say I wasn't thinking of my supporters would (laughs) be (laughs) just wouldn't be true like so um me getting this far is just a miracle um alone and so just uh being able to represent the people who have supported me um, at a high, at the highest level, I just, I, there's no greater honor. Looking back at your journey so far, is there anything that you would have changed or do you like how it went? Because it taught you a lot about yourself. You had a lot of personal growth and it's mm-hmm. getting you to where you are today. I wouldn't change a thing. This is going to be the shortest answer, but <laughs> I wouldn't, I would not change a thing. Um, all the pain was worth it. And, um, it may not have produced an Olympic gold medal, um, in 2021, but it certainly, uh, produces character. And, uh, if anybody is out there watching this and you're going through emotional pain or, um, trauma or anything, I'd just say now is the time to press into that. Um, because, the growth at the end of that is so much greater than any sort of pain you'll ever go through. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish personally and professionally in the next few years? Oh man, that's exciting. Um, This week has been a bit of the, um, just like figuring out what the next year looks like. So we have this thing called International Swim League. It's called ISL. And, um, that starts in late August. So we have the draft going on this, this week. So, uh, on Friday, I'm going to enter in some times and, um, hopefully get drafted. So that'll be the next step. All goes well there. Then, um, I definitely believe I'll be able to pursue another year. And like I said, 
uh, I had a lot of fights and battles choose me. And this time I get to choose my battle. And um, so long as, you know, Lord willing, it's, that's the most important thing. But me getting to choose my battle this time, it's, it's so freeing <laughs> and it's yeah. just like I get to drive every single ounce of myself into this now. So I'm really excited. Well, I need to be watching the draft now to see if you get drafted. I think Let's I saw, go, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw the international swim league. I think, I don't know when, like the first time it came out and I'm like, it's taken them this long to come up with this concept. Like, cause I feel <laughs> yeah, like they yeah. could have, feel like they could have done this like years ago but it's like 90s easily yeah yeah and now it's come out and it's like okay i can i'm gonna get into this i think anytime it's usually because with tv nowadays it's usually rerun so it's like give me something new to to come on tv and that was definitely something new and let's hope is there a team that well it might be spoilers but is there a team that you're looking at that you're like, Ooh, maybe I want to be on them. Heck yeah. I mean, uh, the Cali Condors won this past year. Um, but, uh, I was on, I was in season one, uh, with the LA current and, uh, it'd be fun to jump on that team again. But, um, honestly, I am just going to be grateful to be in the league at this point, um, this upcoming year and be able to have another chance to, prove myself but also um kind of show the world i'm back so i'm excited is it is there a lot of traveling when it comes to that or is it like with like a baseball season it's only during this time because swimming is one of those sports where it's indoors for the most part and you can swim all year but is it like a big contract or something or is it like something that's temporary in a way they go year by year and so um yeah you can pretty much be signed to a team so the bigger swimmers um caleb dressel um olivia smaliga um chad laclo right sarah sostrom like those those are the swimmers that are basically just they're they're guaranteed um like a spot no matter what at this point because they've they've achieved a dominance level in their their events and in that sport and so um, that would be the point of like, okay, you've got a spot, but otherwise it's, it's year to year and the draft starts over every single year. So you may be on the same team, you may not. And, uh, that's the fun about it. And so there's, there's tons of traveling. Um, this time it's in, uh, half of the trip is in Italy. The other half is in Budapest. So yeah, it's going to be really cool. Sneak me into your luggage. I'll go to. I'll go to. <laughs> yeah, man. We'll hang out. <laughs> oh my! We'll grab some beer. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> Talking about your journey so far, for someone that's listening to this interview, the final question I'll ask you: What tips or advice would you give someone to overcome challenges, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Hmm. I think, you know, just going back to when it comes to rising the challenge and overcoming obstacles. Um, we all have areas that we know we need to address, um, but have put off or continually put off and maybe don't press into. And I'd say that if I've learned anything in my life, um, 
it's one, press into your pain, but two, and more importantly, ask for help. And it is okay to ask for help. In fact, it is the wisest thing and um, demonstrates humility. And I think that when it comes to humility, humility is the opposite of weakness. It's actually strength. And so when you are able to ask for help, help, you are demonstrating humility and you are demonstrating strength. And with the support, you'll be able to press into your pain. And um, I can definitely say that the people around me um, that have come around me in the last year to kind of form like a, just an entourage, a squad. Like I've felt, I've never felt more supported in my career. Um, but also I've, I've found what I've needed and help in order to make this goal and dream a reality. So push into your pain, ask for help. I think asking for help was such a big thing. That was something I struggled with growing up or even when I was getting older because I wanted to be the person because a lot of people use like asking for help as a weakness. They feel like, oh, they, they are not good enough. They can't do it. But then I kind of told myself, and especially this last year with COVID and stuff, that asking for help is not a weakness anymore. It's a, a it's an opportunity to get stronger and grow as an individual and get that knowledge that you didn't have. And I take that everywhere I go. Take those risks. Get, ask for help. Don't say no. Just go for it. And it's amazing to hear your story. And we appreciate you coming on and being so open because it shows the journey that you've gone through. And we're just excited to see what the future has for you. And we're just happy that you were able to share with all of us. Heck yeah, Alex. Thank you for having me. This was great. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.